0: Hey, family, it's good to see you. If you're online, thank you for joining us. My name is Eddie. I am the lead pastor here. If you're new, I hope that you have been welcomed and that you feel welcome. (laughs) Um, It is good to be with you on Student Sunday. We really, we care about the next generation, and that is a biblical emphasis. In fact, we're going to touch on that today. Uh, God is eager for one generation to tell his story to the next generation. He's eager for us to not only hear and receive what God has done and is doing in our life, but to take that and to be a testimony to those who come after us. So we're going to be reading out of 1st, uh, first, not 1st first John, we're, we're, we've done that. <laughs> we're going to read out of Joshua chapter 4. Um, we've been going through this series on Joshua, talking about this idea of crossing over of God taking us from one place to another and what that transitional moment looks like, what God desires to do through it, and how he works in it. And all of us are in one form of uh, crossing over or another, whether you're going from college life into the workforce, or you're going from uh, just being parents, or or rather a married couple, couple to now becoming parents, or you're becoming parents of just Instead of children, now you have tweens or teens or, or maybe the, your kids are going out into the world. Or maybe you are just a single person trying to figure out how to do life and, and get into whatever you feel like the next phase of life is. We're all facing these moments of, of change and transition. And God desires to use those moments to bring about growth and life and, and transformation He doesn't waste these moments, and so we're going to read about that a bit more today. If you will stand with me, we're going to read from Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. Joshua chapter 4, verses 19 through 24. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father, we come to this moment looking at your word, recognizing that you are calling us to remember, you're calling us to commemorate, and you're calling us to testify. God, I pray that you would bring to mind all the ways in which your mighty works have been a benefit to us, I pray that we would remember by your spirit how you have changed and transformed our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to commemorate those things, whether they be in your scriptures or they be personal experiences that we, we've seen and heard your mighty acts. God, I'm, I pray that we would be, that our lives would be a memorial to you, that we would be both a testimony And that we would see and find motivation to devote our lives to you. That we would fear the Lord. We would be in awe of who you are. God, meet us in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. Have you ever asked yourself the question why God didn't just give us Just a straightforward list of things he wanted us to do. You know, there you go. Some of us do. Sometimes you're in relationships with people and you kind of want them just, just give me the bottom line. Tell me what you want me to do to make you happy. Tell me what you don't want me to do to make you happy. You know, I don't want to have to try and uh, sift through your, your backstory, just give it to me straight. And so sometimes we can come to the Bible, and, and maybe we'll read a story like this, and we're saying, God, okay, that's great, but what do you want me to do? But, but what the consistent testimony of Scripture is, and when we're honest with ourselves, we realize that stories do something that just propositional truth tends not to. Stories motivate. There's a reason why Disney exists, and it's not because they tell us uh, just straightforward propositional truth about mythical creatures and situations, right? They, they don't just put before us this idea that a kingdom is a land in which a king rules and sometimes there are queens and princesses and in those lands there are evil villains, there are uh, low-level poor people who sometimes through Unusual circumstances and magic become queens or kings themselves. Right? That that's not that's not engaging. But when you hear the phrase "once upon a time," all of a sudden you're listening. And and you know, as a father, there have been moments where you know we're trying to engage our kids, and and particularly at bedtime, we, we've we've been in a habit at times of of telling bedtime stories. And in these bedtime stories, you know, my, my sons or my daughter, they, they act valiantly, they do amazing things. My daughter, in particular, her, for her, her weapon of choice in these stories is a double-headed axe, because I think that's awesome, to think of my da- daughter wielding a double-headed axe and a hammer. Um, but, but we tell stories to invite people into an experience, to invite them into a reality, And in the case of of this story, we're going to see that that God has a purpose in bringing about salvation for the Israelites. And it isn't even, it doesn't terminate, it doesn't stop with their their salvation and being brought into the promised land. This is a real thing that did happen, but it was also something that God was crafting as a story for these people to give to the next generation... And then for that generation to give it to the next generation, ultimately, so that, it says on verse 24, so that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Stories invite us to respond. Stories invite us to emote, to have emotions. It's, it's I don't know many people who look at statistics and get emotional. <laughs> if you do, God bless you. You're a unique individual created and crafted by God. But for most of us, you, you, you kind of want to put a name or a face or a picture that kind of represents those, those facts and figures. And so here we see the story. Now last week we talked about how God had called Israel to cross over the Jordan. And how Joshua was, was, was preparing, he was the new leader, he was preparing to take the people over. And if you were to go and just read through uh, chapter 3 and 4, we see that the priests who are ordained by God are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is this kind of chest thing that has uh, two cherubim and it, and it represents the presence of God. And oftentimes it, it was the place where the presence of God actually uh, manifested itself, where God was and so they were carrying the presence of God, and Joshua had commanded, uh, by, by command of God, commanded the, the priests to step into the Jordan. And as they stepped in, just, just put on your panoramic uh, mind's eye, think about this, you, you see the Jordan, you hear it, the water flowing in this particular season, the, the banks were kind of overflowing, the Jordan was high, and, and the Israelites are looking over with anticipation. These guys are carrying these gold-plated acacia wood, bars with the, the Ark of the Covenant between them, and silence falls, you don't hear anything except for the, the birds and, and the stream, or not the stream, but the, the river, and they step in. And as they step in, each step is on dry ground, and you begin to see this, this rush of water going up, and the water being receding on one side and, and, and drying out on the other side, it's a river, it's going one direction, so the water is mounting up, and it's mounting up far away, and they can see it in the distance as the water rushes in the opposite direction that it was now it was flowing, and it's mounting, mounting, mounting in this place called Adam, and, and you can see it over here, and it's becoming this, this dam without a dam. There's water, but there's nothing that's, that's holding the water except for the power and the will of God. And on this side, you see dry land. You see the ground begin to crack where the moisture is lifted up and it's causing everything to, to dry up and to, to compress. And the, the priests are carrying the ark on dry ground. And they come into the middle of it and Joshua co- commands the people now to follow. And so the, the priests are carrying the presence of God, which is protecting the people of God, and the people of God are crossing over, crossing over, crossing over. Men, women, children, warriors, crossing over. In verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, as, and all Israel was passing over the gr- dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And so if we could think of it this way, they're coming from this direction, they're passing over, and they're, they're ending up over here. We see that the Israelites are, 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 are making a, a, a big crowd, and they're looking, last few people are coming, and the priests are standing faithfully, and somehow in this moment, in chapter 4, it says that when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people. From each tribe, so one man from each tribe, there's 12 tribes, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over where you are with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So the people are watching, and we're watching now. And, and these 12 men were, were selected as representatives of, of the people of God. And so, in effect, the people of God are, are stepping back into the place of God's crossing over, and they're looking around, and they're, carrying, and they're picking up stones. Now, these aren't just like stones. These aren't pebbles, because later on it says that they, they carried them, uh, pass on before the Ark of the Covenant, in verse 5, and take up, each of you, a stone upon his shoulder. So these were st- these stones. These were not stones; they were they were big stones, and they're picking them up, putting them on their shoulders, carrying them across, and putting them down, and creating somewhat of a pile. Maybe a, you know maybe they stacked them up perfectly. I don't know. This was kind of a, a godly Jenga moment. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but there was a pile that was being established, and they did this. They they built the the pile. And it says in verse 20, And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come as children do. What, what do these stones mean? Like, can I push this over? No, don't push that over, right? You can see a kid almost walk up to the stones and, and just like, what is this? And you're like, stop that! Don't do that! You're going to crush your brother. What do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. God was giving the people of Israel another story to tell. He gives us stories to tell of his mighty works. Because ultimately we are made to be recipients and senders of God's stories. God has created you and me to be worshipers. And the problem is we get engaged in the stories of other things, right? Money, relationships, other people, our fame, our fortune. And we begin to have these narratives of of my awesomeness and and I'm the hero of my story and, and this is the thing I get to have and this is the thing I get to do. But God invites us into a story where we get to participate, but he is the hero. These stones are a story. They're a story of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel to bring them into the promised land. If you look at verse 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And on paper, it just doesn't seem that impressive. But when you begin to think about what he did, why are these stones here? Well, because something happened here God dried up the land, he heaped up the water, he stopped the fish from from going down to the river into the Dead Sea, or Red Sea, Dead Sea, I think. Yes, anyways. He did something here. It was a story of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel to bring them into the Promised Land, and it was very similar to the story that he had already begun in bringing the people out of Egypt. In verse 23, verse part, the second part of it, it says this, As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, This was not the first time that the Israelites had received God's story. This was not the first time they'd been invited into a narrative of his power and his strength and his his restoration and redemption. These were stories that were building upon themselves. If you can think of, I mean, mean, we know that the, the stones represented the people of Israel, but at the same time, there were each person's experience of the, the power and the, the redemption of God, the stories were building upon each other. And in the same way, God's story was building upon itself, right? The, this idea of, of scripture, it's, it's progressive. It's progressive. That means that, that what we see in Genesis is, is, is the beginning, it's, it's not the whole story, it's, it's a precursor, it's the starting point. And as we get to Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, these stories begin to mount upon each other, and we we see that they they begin to interweave, and God's painting a picture, and the picture is not complete. They're building upon each other. And we have the benefit of of seeing the complete picture, or at least complete up to to our day. We see God's redemption from Genesis and Exodus, and we get to receive the language and the the metaphor of, of, of salvation as redemption. Right? Redemption is not just a word we say that God, God helps us. No, redemption is God purchasing us. And, and it's a picture of God purchasing the slaves of Egypt and bringing them out of that slavery into freedom. And God uses that same language, that same story to tell us about what it looks like for us to be restored to him. He says, you were redeemed. You were taken from your slavery in the kingdom of darkness and you were, you were brought into the kingdom of, your, of his beloved son. It says in Colossians chapter 1 that, that we, we've, been, we've been redeemed in the same way spiritually that, that the Israelites were redeemed. In the same way that, that the Israelites got to pass from being outside the promised land into the promised land, we are on a journey towards the promised land of God's ultimate salvation. And we get to, to look back at these stories of redemption So as we think about this, the question that I want to ask you, the question that I think the scriptures are asking us is, what stones are you collecting? What stones are you collecting? I think for many of us, we aren't collecting stones of God's redemption, we're collecting boulders of our disappointments. I mean, if you were to go into our house, you you, you know, the living room's nice, but you open one of those closets and then... Just a bunch of stones come out of, you know, so-and-so failed me. So-and-so lied to me. Such and such situation, it, it brought destruction to my life. Here's my, here's my jar of pebbles of, of just minor disappointments. We've collected memorials to our own brokenness or the brokenness of those around us. Memorials to our own sin. Memorials to to the things that have have brought destruction in our life. And we look at our situation and we're surrounded by these other stones and we wonder why we can't see God for who he is. Because our vision is obscured by the memorials that we've made. What kind of stones are you gathering? What kind of stories are you holding up? You know, there's a reason that, that... Paul says in, in Philippians, as he speaks to the Philippians about how they are to, to act, this is in chapter 4. I'll get there in a second. This is in chapter 4. Where is it? I lost it. Verse 8? Is it 8? Thank you. I said 3, it's 8. Philippians 4, eight. finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Our, our habit tends to be whatever is wrong or false, whatever is not honorable, whatever is Injust, whatever is impure, whatever is not lovely, whatever is uh, something you want to hide. If there's anything that is kind of yucky, if there's anything that isn't really worth praise, think about these things. That isn't, that's, that's anxiety. That's lust. That's, that's anger. That's collecting stones that don't speak of the glory of God. But he says, Paul says and God says to us, no, no, no. We want to collect stones of God's goodness, his glory, his grace. Now, some of you are in this room, and I would imagine maybe you don't have a relationship with God. So perhaps you don't have any personal experiences that you would point to and say, this, is, this represents a stone of God's salvation in my life, God's redemption, his provision in my life. Well, that's, that's why God has given us his word. That's why, that's why the Israelites walked before us. It says in, in, in the New Testament that the Old Testament was given to us, and, and ultimately the Bible is given to us as an example The stories of God's faithfulness, the stories of God's goodness. That's why we have the story of Exodus. That's why we have the, the stories of, of David, King David, establishing an army, or establishing a kingdom that, that would be ultimately the kingdom that, that Jesus takes over. In Deuteronomy 15, it says that you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. And then in Psalm 106, it says in verse one, praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord? Who can utter the mighty? The, the, The Bible is full of stories of God's goodness to us. It's full of God's Stories of his, of his grace toward us, of his unmerited favor, of him taking people who deserved nothing but condemnation and death and him taking those people and giving them life and health and provision. All so that ultimately, uh, chapter 4, verse 24 of, of Joshua would come true, so that the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear your God forever. God blesses us to honor himself now that that may sound weird, right? We're taught you know don't brag, don't boast, don't try to bring don't humble brag, you know you know I didn't get to go to the gym today because you know I was working out at home i don't i don't know i don't, that's that's complete fiction for me um, that's neither humble nor brag for me but But for God, the difference is when we boast about ourselves, we're boasting about someone, and I love you. You're great people. You're handsome, beautiful, kind, smart, intelligent people. But we're not the ultimate expressions of of awesomeness. God, however, is an ultimate. I mean, in, in terms of facts, God is awesome is a fact It's not just a superlative. Like when I say, man, you're awesome, that's that's an expression of of, of encouragement that I'm thankful for you. I think you're great, and I think that God's using you in mighty ways. But when we say God is awesome, that's like, that's his resume. So when we say, God, you are awesome, when we look at his deeds, when we look at what he does, when we consider how he he provides for us personally, we're not just saying, man, this is neat, we're saying, no, God, we see in our own personal reality the fact of your awesomeness. When we worship in him and say, God, you are glorious, we, we are stating fact. When God invites us to tell these stories, he's inviting us to declare the ultimate reality of all realities, that God is awesome. What kind of stories are you collecting? You know, I was reflecting on this in my own life because I think it's a, if I'm going to preach on it, I need to have some stories myself. Um, and, and I think that, that when we talk about these stories, sometimes we want to have some sort of grandiose, dramatic story. But I can tell you that sometime around 2000, not 2000, 19, 1980s, in the 1980s, I don't know exactly when, there was an American GI in the army, who went to Korea. He was stationed in Seoul, Korea. And he and his friend went on a date with two young ladies. And uh, he ended up not liking the young lady and she, she ended up liking his friend. So he ended up going out with her friend. They got married. And a few years later, I was here. And I'm thankful for that. And beyond that, sometime in, in that process, God arrested my parents' soul and, and, and I know that my father kind of grew up in the faith and my mother kind of came into it a little bit later. And because of that, I grew up in a household where we were in church, we were reading the Bible, and, and God had begun a story for me that started out with, with God's grace in a Christian ho- household. That's a good story. It isn't a story of me going from, from dealing drugs and, and being in a gang to now being freed. And, and, I mean, but it's a good story. You know, when I was in college, I, I remember my mom's Korean. She, we were, they were attending a Korean church at the time. And, uh, and they were going to send some missionaries, well, short-term missionaries, to China in, in connection with another Chinese church And so there were this Chinese church in Raleigh, this Korean church in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they were gonna send people over to support some Korean missionaries who were in Beijing, China. And they needed someone who could play guitar, speak English, uh, and knew about computers. And if you haven't been paying attention, I am a bit of a computer nerd. Um, I played guitar, not like this guy over here, but I played guitar well enough, and I did speak English. You can ask my English teachers how well I did. But I did speak English. And so I said, well, certainly this is this is the, the plan and the purpose of God. And God gave me a story about his redemption to carry over. Then I went a couple years later in college. And I was going to go over to China again to teach English. And I had to raise money. And I was a college kid and not very good with money. So I didn't have a lot. And it was about a week before I had to leave that I owed about $1,000, and for me, that might as well have been, you know, a billion dollars. It was just, that was a lot of dollars. I had maybe three. And and so I prayed with some friends and asked God to provide, believed, that you know, God, you said in your word, you're going to um, provide if we just pursue your kingdom. This wasn't like a, hey, I'm going to Cancun to do missions. Um, i like, I was going to China. Like, this was, I really felt like God had called me. It was confirmed by other people. I wasn't just making it up and saying, God, would you fit the bill for my great idea? I really felt like this was God's idea. So we prayed. And on my doorstep the next day, or sometime thereafter, there was a, a handmade, this is why I think it was a young lady, because it was a handmade card in an envelope. And I just don't, I can't imagine any of like my guy friends being like, I'm going to make him a handmade card. it would be a real encouragement to you. And I think they all were broke like me anyways. And so I got this card, and in it there was like $1,000 in cash, which, again, a lot of money. I, had a, I, had, I worked through from, from like 14 on, and yet this still was, it blew me away. I was like, this is amazing, and God provided. And I got a story. I got a stone that I could, could put on the pile. And I met my wife, not in China. We actually met early on, and we became friends throughout college, and, and she loved the Lord, and I loved the Lord. And, and there were so many things about our the way we approach life that were very similar. But this you know, as you get to know people, it, it can be pretty, I mean at least for me, it was pretty unique for me to find a, someone who was of a similar mind on so many different things and also was very attractive. I knew a lot of people with similar minds, but like me, they were OK. I don't want to marry you. I, I, I like the cut of your jib, but we're not getting married. But we agreed on so many things, and I thought she was beautiful. And think she's beautiful. I know she's beautiful. Just past tense, present tense. There you go. We're going to get there, JC. We got married. We've been married 15 years. Three kids, still married, which if you know me... That is the grace of God in her life, or in my life and in her life to make it happen. Have stones of God's faithfulness. He says, gather 12 stones and tell the next generation. What stones have you been gathering? Do you need to, do you need to pick up this word and get familiar with the stones that God's given you? That the stories that he's entrusted to you? He's, given, he's invited us into stories. When you read the word, I, w- I would encourage you to do what I tried, I tried to do, which was to get us to engage at a level where our mind's eye could see what was happening in the scriptures. And sometimes you read a sentence and you're like, oh, that, that was a sentence. Like, they passed over the Jordan. Wait, pause. What does that even look like for thousands of people to pass over the Jordan? I'll tell you what, it took longer than it took for me to write that, read that sentence. Yeah. Right, just pause. Pause. He stopped the water. What does that look like? Dry ground. It wasn't muddy. So, you know, was there a mist that came up? You know, I, I'm, we're, we're staying with my in-laws and they live out in Linden. And you can look down the Shenandoah Valley and you literally see uh, a cloud. And it was weird because the other day I looked and there was a cloud and you could see the sky. It was like we were flying, but... We weren't because we were on ground. That's how flying works. But, but there was mist because it had rained and science, and so there was mist. So was there mist? Or was it like one of these Marvel, I feel like it's a Marvel movie where, where you see beads of water kind of beating up, beating up, becoming like a pool, a round like, ball of water that's now flowing into bigger, and it's just turning into this like, massive, gelatinous, watery Marvel scene. What did it look like? God invites us into these stories and he invites us to to use our imagination to see what was going on, to to see with our eyes and to experience it, to let our hearts get excited, to get hopeful, to anticipate, because these are our stories. These are not just the Israelite stories. They're they're your stories. These, These are your stories, and they're here to set a foundation for the stories that God God enacts in your own life. There are gonna be stories that God gives you of, of provision, of you having more, more month than you have money, of you having debts that you didn't realize that you had, of, of having uh, cars break down, of, of houses being messed up, and then God comes in and miraculously provides. Of there being relationships that are broken that are, are, are marred by unforgiveness and bitterness that, that are, are, are just this, whether you just both are saying things but neither one of you is hearing anything and then God breaks through, brings forgiveness, brings hope, brings life, brings love. He's got stories for you. As we begin to close, we wanna tell the stories of God's mighty works and we wanna tell those stories to the next generation. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers, when your children ask their fathers, moms, you're awesome. You can tell stories. So when I say this to the fathers, please don't take offense because I'm not saying that moms, you can't take responsibility to tell these stories. But fathers, it's your responsibility to tell these stories. I say that to myself. Fathers, it's your responsibility. To tell these stories that means that it's your responsibility to know these stories it's your responsibility to be collecting these stories your children are not going to collect these stones apart from the grace of God if they've not seen you collecting these stones and saying here buddy come here you see this you see this pile let me tell you about what God did on this day In Psalm 145, it's this this amazing psalm of just God's praise. It starts, I will extol you, O my God and King, and bless your name. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But the psalmist, his focus isn't just on himself and his personal experience of God, as great as that is. He goes on in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your, mighty, of your majesty and your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. And then he goes and he says it. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. One generation shall commend your works to another. To those who are a little bit older, not old, but a little bit older in this room, you have a responsibility to commend the works of God to the next generation. Some of you are in this room and you're like, I don't... I was a youth pastor for a long time and in the youth ministry world, it's, it's, you're always looking for the next cutting edge thing. We had magicians, we had sword swallowers, we had uh, jump ropers, professional jump ropers come in, we had skateboarders. We're trying to find, what's that thing? And the reality is, I say this as a person who's older, older people aren't cool. And, and you, you can dress it up, you, I can get on a skateboard, I can swallow a sword, I can, you know, do other crazy stuff, and it's just not cool. But you know what I can do? I can be a father to these children, and I can tell them about the amazing works of God. And I can tell them the stories of God's faithfulness in my own life, and I can look them in the eyes with the kind of gravity and seriousness that says, I have seen the power of God. Some of you have seen the power of God and you need to speak about the power of God. You disqualified yourself from, from sharing with the next generation because you say, well, I can't skateboard. And I can't understand half of what they're saying. I don't know what a TikTok is. And, and I'm, I'm joking, but you have something to give. And to the teenagers in the room, to the young people in the room, you need to listen. You don't have to listen but I, I, I want to encourage you that if you will listen, you will benefit in ways that, that we didn't benefit. You will learn from our mistakes. And you will begin at an earlier age to cultivate a larger pile of stones. Will you listen? Young men, when, when, when an older man comes to you and says, you know what? I got some things I want to tell you. And some of it is not as, uh, as encouraging as you'd like it to be, but it's coming from a man who you know loves you, listen. Because that man has probably been in a position like yours and wants to call something out of your life. It's true of young ladies as well, I just personal experience of a young man. Tell the story to the next generation. Fathers, we have a responsibility I'm so thankful for my wife because she has challenged me in this way so many times that, you know, this is something you need to walk in. And moms, you can, you can call this out of your children as well. God has blessed you to be a mighty woman of God. My hope is that you are participating uh, with what your husband is already doing because that's his call. And you're getting to walk alongside and encourage him and challenge him at times. fathers, you're going to answer the question, why are these rocks here? We tell this story to the next generation. We tell it as a testimony. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, for the Lord your God dried up the waters and why did he do this? So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Your story is bigger than your story. Your life, your provision your experience of God and his goodness is not intended to terminate on you. It's, it's intended, uh, I've said this before, but, but I'll say it again. I like pie, and, uh, or we'll, we'll switch it up. I like cake, not as much as pie, but we'll get there. And I went to a restaurant nearby, and it was a good time. I was with my family, so I was already having a good time. And I got this cake, it's tres leches, it's three different kinds of milk in it. If you don't like that, I'm sorry. It's God's way. Um, and I remember I was pretty excited about it, I'll be honest, because uh, I like food and I like cake and I have taste buds and God's blessed me with that. And so I have an apologetic for eating food and enjoying it. Um, and I remember taking the first bite and just laughing because it just it was really good. I mean, I think about it now, and I'm, I'm smiling because it was really good. And, and that experience of, of, of pleasure, of joy, of happiness over the food, it would have been stilted if I had held back my, my smile. It would have been stilted if I would held back the expression of laughing. My kids thought it was really funny that I was so happy about cake. I think they were like, yes, so we get cake every day, right, Daddy? No. But that's just a small example. When we experience the glorious goodness of God, which, which cake pales in con- comparison to, the, the point of that experience is not for us to just be like, well, that was nice. The point of that experience is to say, God, you're awesome. And for the people around us to hear us saying, God, you're awesome. And for them to look at us and say, well, what's awesome about God? Well, let me tell you. Come over here. Look at this pile of stones. You see the Jordan River there and the fish in there? They weren't there. God, he, he moved it. There was this cool thing. They beat it up. It turns out there was no mist, but they beat, it beat it up and, and the water, it went away. And, and, and we walked across the Jordan, the basin on dry land. You know, I dropped something. It's probably still down there. But we picked up these 12 stones to remind us. Oh, that's why you were exclaiming. Yes, that's why I was exclaiming. Some of you have stories that they're they're not finished because you haven't told them. God has given you a story. You've read it. You've experienced it. You've said, man, this is good. But there are people in your life who need to hear that story. Paul talks about this in this idea of uh, we are comforted so that we might be able to comfort others. Some of you, you've been comforted by the the loving kindness of God, the patience and the tenderness of God. And, And there are others in this church that need to be comforted in a similar way. They need to hear that, man, God is good, he is, he's tender, he's merciful, he's kind. Some of you parents, you've walked through things with your kids. You've seen them go from, ah, what, no, don't, to now, oh, you're, you're cleaning up your room and you're paying some bills. Who are you? <laughs> I mean, stay who you are, but just introduce me to yourself. What is this new change? And there, there are parents who are still in the ah phase of life that you need to come alongside and say, you know what, let's, let's engage God in prayer and let's ask for this story to have the kind of ending that I had. Some of you in your marriages, you're over here and, and there's, there's trepidation, there's fear, there's pain, there's bitterness, there's anger. And there are others of you You've been through seasons of trepidation, pain, anger, but you've walked through it, you've you've received forgiveness, you've given forgiveness, you've you've invited other people into your marriage to to consult and console and bring wholeness. And, And you need to now go and say, there is hope. There is a future. There is freedom. There is unity available to you. And for those of you who are over here as parents or as single people or as, as spouses, I, I want to encourage you to listen to those who are coming along and saying, I have a story for you. Listen. We tell the story as a testimony and finally we tell the story as an act of devotion. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty also that you may fear the Lord your God forever. These are not these are not myths. These are not stories in the sense of like a mythical, fanciful Cinderella story that you can get engaged with and then you can walk away from. No, these are real things that God really did. That the most powerful individual in all of creation, outside of all creation. He has done things, and he doesn't just invite us to respond; he demands that we respond. He calls us to fear him, and, and sometimes we, we struggle with that terminology because we say, "Well, Jesus, you, you wanted us to love you, and you know God is love, and how can you fear and love something?" You know, again, I was at I was in Linden, which is it's uh, towards Front Royal. There are mountains, and my wife and I and. It's, our nephew and some other people were walking and there's this there's this overlook um where again we it, it, you look down into the valley you can see front royal it's it's pretty amazing and at this overlook i mean it's kind of a cliff they've built just a friendly reminder <laughs> so it's it's not like a chain link fence it looks nice it's got bricks and it, it's a brick just edge i don't know it's not really a fence. It goes up to here. You can sit on it. But it's, a, don't go past here. And, and what's interesting is if you, if you climb over that brick, which is a friendly reminder, and you're on your own now, and you look over the edge, at least I, my hands begin to sweat because there's a lot of power in gravity. And I don't have wings. And so I get a little nervous about the seriousness of, of what a fall like that would look like. And, and I think that begins to give us a picture of what the fear of the Lord looks like. You know, C.S. Lewis, he's a, an amazing thinker. He was an amazing thinker and, and author. And he wrote um, the Chronicles of Narnia, which are kind of a, uh, an allegory for, for God. And, and there's this character, Aslan, who represents Christ. And Aslan is a lion. And, and he says, as uh, C.S. Lewis says of Aslan, he's not tame, and sometimes we want to approach God as though he were tame. And these are just, do, 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 you know, the little, uh, do they have the Bibles with every character is a little baby person? And that's not, that's not this Bible. God is not a, not a baby person. The angels are not baby cherubs with wings that, that play harps and, and have cute faces that, with gigantic heads and small baby bodies. That's, that's not the God that we serve. And in fact, if you go through the Bible and and read the descriptions of angels, it's kind of freakish. Um, God is a God of power. He's a cliff-type God. He's a I'm looking over the edge, and if I were to just fall over, I would plummet to my death kind of God. And I don't mean to say that in a way that that is dark or horror, but it's a way of, of, of trying to encapsulate the seriousness of who God is. And when, we, when we're honest about the fact that outside of the salvation of God, we stand at a real chasm of God's wrath that goes on forever. That because of my disobedience, because of my sinfulness, because I've chosen, I'd rather do it my way than do it God's way. Because I'd rather bring honor to other things than to bring honor to God. That I stand at this chasm and at any moment I could fall in but that God invites me into a place of safety of health and wholeness where every step is secure that's that's the God we serve and that's the God we worship and that's the God we devote ourselves to we get these stories so that we might we might properly fear the lord our god yes we love him yes we we appreciate his closeness his comfort but we also don't forget that he is a serious god who's taken us from places of of serious danger self-inflicted danger to places of peace and safety we tell the story what stories are you collecting? I would encourage you today as, as homework to make a list of things that you're grateful for. Begin with what God has done in Scripture and then take it to your own personal life. What has God done? And not just, don't just make a list on, you know, in your brain, but write it down so that your future self can find that list and say, oh, God is good. And if you, if you don't have a story or, or if you haven't trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, have you, if, you're, if you're still over here and you're still trying to decide, do I live my life on my own or do I live my life uh, submitted to God, I would encourage you that there is salvation, there is safety, there is life, there is goodness. If you will trust, in, not in your own ability to, to make things happen, not in your own ability to get to God, not in your own ability to, to make your life right, but if you would trust in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins to give you new life, and to invite you into a story that that has a great ending. If that's you, I would encourage you today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. God, I pray that you would bring to mind in the the hearts and minds of each person in here the, the things that you've done, the stories that you have given them of your faithfulness, your goodness, your love, of your holiness, Bring to mind these things that we might be able to say, praise you, God. Father, I pray that you would establish a sense of weight in my own life and in the lives of the other fathers in this room to take this thing seriously. To seek to tell the story to our children. And more broadly, God, I pray that all of those individuals in this room that have a story man or woman, that we would seek out the next generation to invite them to hear stories of God's faithfulness and his goodness. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. Pray all these things in the name of your mighty and matchless son, Jesus Christ, amen.